question for you. Did anybody come to church tonight expecting to receive anything? Did you just come because, hey, we have air conditioning. That's pretty cool. That's nice, isn't it? No. Or are you here because you want to hear from heaven and you want to be changed and you want to grow in the things of God? Well, I believe that with all of my heart. And you know, every time somebody gets in our pulpit, whether it's me, Pastor Mark, Pastor Tom, Pastor Nancy, whoever it is, I can guarantee you that we are prepared. And we have something to say by the Spirit of God. And it doesn't matter, you know, we're not moved by how many people are or are not here. If you will expect and you will pull on the Spirit of God, you'll get something. And you know, I'm just so glad that we still do have Sunday night services. Last Sunday night was amazing. And you know, if it's for one person that we have a service, one person to get born again, one person to get filled with the Holy Ghost, or one person to get healed, that's worth it. Amen. But we, on the other hand, are expecting people to come from the north, the south, the east, and the west. We are expecting this sanctuary to be full every time time we come together because people need the Lord and people need help. They need their lives changed and that help comes only from him. Amen. Well, if you weren't here last week, we started talking about the Holy Ghost and Fire, fire, fire. But we have to say it like we say it in Oklahoma. Far, far, fire. How many of you are filled with the Holy Ghost and far, far, fire? Hallelujah. Oh, what a difference. Oh, what a change the Holy Spirit makes in our lives. We'll just start uh, where we began last week, just so we have a jumping off place. And we started talking about what John the Baptist said about being filled with the Holy Ghost. Y'all know that John the Baptist was the forerunner of the Lord Jesus Christ. He preached repentance. He baptized his followers in water. But he made a statement in Matthew chapter 3, verse 11. And and he made a statement about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So let's look at that verse tonight. Matthew 3, 11. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. And this is what I want you to see tonight. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and... I need a little participation class. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and... So it's not just getting filled with the Holy Spirit, but the fire of God accompanies us when we are filled with the Holy Spirit. And what is that fire supposed to do? Well, that fire is supposed to bring change. That's one of the things we started looking at last week, that when the Holy Spirit fell on the day of Pentecost over in Acts chapter 2, very familiar with that passage of scripture. If you want to read it later, Acts chapter 2, verse 1 through 4, verse 4, verse 3, it said, there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire and it sat upon each one of them and they began to speak with other tongues as the spirit gave them utterance and from that initial outpouring of the holy spirit and fire we see that there was an immediate change in the lives of those that were in that upper room one point in case was the apostle peter we all know peter he was known i mean how would you like to go down in history as the the disciple who denied the Lord. But that was his trademark. That's what he was known for. Prior to being filled with the Holy Spirit, he had denied the Lord in the presence of a 12-year-old girl, a small girl. But that day, the day that the Holy Spirit and fire fell on the day of Pentecost, he was changed. He went from Peter, the denier, to Peter, the prophesier. All that cowardliness, all that intimidation, all that insecurity was 
burned out of him. And he stood up that day a changed man. And he was the one that was chosen to preach after that outpouring on the day of Pentecost. I wonder if some of the other disciples were kind of like, oh, come on, Lord. Why does he get to be the one to hold the first evangelistic rally? Why is he chosen to stand up and to preach the gospel? You ought to use somebody else. Why don't you use John the Beloved or someone else that that stuck with you? But the reason why I know, because God likes to choose the unusual and the unlikely, so he gets all the glory for what is accomplished. So Peter, a changed man, stood up and 3,000 souls came to the Lord on that day. That's a pretty good conversion. That's a good result. Amen. So when these tongues of fire come upon us, changes us into another person. And that fire of God, we want to take it another step tonight. And we want to look at the some examples in the word of God that happen when people come in contact with the fire of God. The Bible says that our God is a consuming fire. He's love, he's mercy, but he's also fire. From the top of his head to the soles of his feet, fire. And the fire of God, when it shows up in a person's life, this is what we're going to center in on tonight. It takes out the I can'ts. It will burn it right out of you. So we're going to look at an example of the prophet Isaiah and his encounter with the fire of God. We'll begin reading over in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. His t- the, the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Oh, oh I love that. Let's just say it together. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out. And the house was filled with smoke. So this here is an account of Isaiah being caught up in a vision. And he saw the throne of God. It was high and it was lifted up and it was filled with glory. And the seraphim, and I looked that up in the Strong's Concordance. This is what it says about a seraphim. A burning, fiery, gliding, angelic being. Can you imagine around the throne of God, these angelic, fiery beings that are standing there 24-7 saying, Holy, holy, holy is a Lord God Almighty. Let's just say that again. I like saying that because he is. He's a holy God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Glory to God. That's what they're saying. That's what they're declaring. But Isaiah, you have to realize, you know, he wasn't born again. He was a chosen prophet of God. But when you're not born again and you begin to see the holiness of God, even when you are born again, I'm sure that if we were to be caught up, we would be tempted to feel like I'm not worthy to be here. And that's what happened to him. He saw this. He heard the seraphim crying out, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And his reaction was, I and not worthy to be here. We'll continue on in verse 5. He said, So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. But you know, God had something planned for Isaiah's life. 
just like he has something planned for your life. No one is an accident. Every single one of us are special. Every single one of us are valuable and precious to the Lord. And his hand is upon you for good. And when you are washed in the blood of the land, you are not unworthy. You are not an old unworthy sinner. You are a saint of God, washed and saved and cleansed because of the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. So God had something for Isaiah to do. You can see after this encounter what he did. He fulfilled his mission. He fulfilled his purpose, but he couldn't step in to what God had ordained for him feeling so unworthy and having this sin consciousness. And so he had to get rid of that. And there's many Christians today that they are held back by their past, held back by their failures and their shortcomings. And they don't step forward and they don't obey God because they're just like how Isaiah felt. Oh, I'm unworthy. I can't. Have you ever said that? I can't do that. Lord, I know you want me to go serve with the children, but I can't. I know that you want me to do this or do that in the work of the Lord, but I can't. We need to get the can't out and get the I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's not about our ability. It's not about us. It's about what he puts in our heart to do. What you find your hand to do. If you'll step out, he'll help you do it. Can I get a witness? Anybody in here serving the Lord and doing something here in the church that perhaps you thought I could never do that. But God. God has empowered you and God has equipped you and he's come upon you and he's given you his ability and his strength. Even out there in the workplace, maybe there's a, a job opportunity and in the natural, there might be a lot of people applying for the same position, but we ought to have the attitude. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I am not the tail. I am not beneath. I'm the head. Hallelujah. He always causes me to triumph. The favor of God surrounds me as with a shield. If we'll get our eyes off of what we can't do in the natural, what we don't have and get our eyes upon the one who has it all and who has provided everything we need, we'll be able to step into that path like pastor's been preaching on Sunday mornings. If you haven't been here, get those messages. God's got a good life planned for us. He's got some places ordained for us to go, but we can't go there all bound up. We'll never step into it full of all these insecurities and and afraid, full of fear. Praise God, the Holy Ghost and fire will burn out the fear. And that's what happened. So here, Isaiah's having this vision and he's feeling unworthy when he sees the holiness of God and he sees these fiery beings. But look on down there in verse six, hallelujah, of Isaiah chapter six, verse six. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar and he touched my mouth with it and he said behold this has touched your lips and your iniquity is taken away and your sin is purged. The fire of God purified him. The fire of God burned out those feelings of inadequacy and those feelings of being unworthy. The fire of God gets rid of hindrances. The fire of God burns up garbage and a big thing that is a hindrance and people obeying God and people doing the work of the ministry and everything. Every single one of us are ministers, ministers of reconciliation. Every single one of us have a place and we have a
have a supply to offer in the body of Christ. But one of the biggest hindrances are is insecurity and feelings of inadequacy. I submit to you tonight, say, Lord, touch my lips with a coal of fire like you did with the prophet Isaiah. When that angel touched his lips with that coal of fire off of the altar of God, he had an immediate change of attitude. It swallowed up the I can't. It changed his outlook and his perspective. Immediately he stopped thinking about who he was and what he couldn't do. And all of a sudden that anointing of God, that empowering of the Holy Spirit came upon him. And just like it came upon Peter in Acts chapter 2, the prophet Isaiah was changed into another person. And I'm sure he began to feel like the prophet Jeremiah that said, it's like fire. Shut up in my bones. And I got to obey God. I got to go tell this message. I got to prophesy what he's put in my heart to prophesy. Look what happened there in verse eight. I love his response. Also, after he, the angel touched his lips, then another angel said, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Just a few verses before he was saying, woe is me. I'm unworthy. I'm inadequate. And all of a sudden one touch from the master's hand, one touch from the coal of fire off of the altar of God. He began to say, here am I, send me, here am I, Lord, send me. Everybody lift your hands right now. Let's make that declaration. Here am I, Lord, send me. I'll do what you tell me to do. I'll go where you tell me to go. Say it again. Here am I, Lord. Send me. Now you do realize he might send you to your next door neighbor. He might send you to the nursery. He might send you to the usher team. It doesn't mean when we say, Lord, here am I, send me, that he's going to send you to another nation. That's possible. But for most people in the body of Christ, where he sends us is to the, the circle of our influence. He sends you to that person on the job. He sends you to that family member. Have you ever prayed that, Lord? Here am I. Send me. I still remember, you know, when you have encounters with God. I mean a real encounter. Of course, we've all had that when we're born again. But there's, there's like seasons... There's like appointments where God just brands something on the inside of you. And you know that you know that you have heard from heaven. I still, it's like it was yesterday because it was such an encounter with the Holy Ghost. The day that I prayed, Lord, here am I, send me. I was a teenager laying across my bed, praying in the Holy Ghost. And I wouldn't say that it was an open vision, but in my heart, I began to see faces of people of the world, different nationalities. Now you have to realize I was in Pawnee, Oklahoma. Most of the people in my community were either Caucasian. We did have some African-Americans and mostly Native Americans. That was it. I did not know anybody from the Orient. I didn't know anybody from India. But I began to see faces of every nation. They just went off in my spirit like, uh, like a parade. I saw them marching in front of me. And I heard the Spirit of God say to my spirit as a young girl, tell them about me. And I remember lifting up my hands and I closed my eyes. It's precious. You know, when you have those moments that they just get you on your path, they set your course. You never forget it. 
I remember closing my eyes, lifting up my hands, and I said exactly what the prophet Isaiah said. Lord, here am I. Send me. The way that I was grew up, I immediately thought I was going to be a missionary. That I would go to all these different nations. Little did I know that God had a different plan. We have gone to nations of the earth, but that's not the primary call on my life. My primary call is to pastor you wonderful people. But I still remember that day in 1982, the first part of July, we drove over to San Francisco. You know what? We moved to this area. Pastor Mark had been here, but I had never been here. And we moved here to pastor this church. I remember crossing the San Francisco Bay Area Bridge, getting over into San Francisco. And I started seeing these faces on the streets. I had singles faces in Pawnee County, but I started seeing faces of the nations. It was so precious to me. The Lord immediately brought me back to many years before when I'd had that prayer of consecration and commitment to him. And he said, welcome to your mission field. This is it. These are the faces that you saw as a teenager and I have sent you to the Bay Area to reach the nations you just look around this room tonight and there's not that many of us but we got lots of nations represented I love our church because it is beautiful it's a people of God from all walks of life from all backgrounds from all nations of the earth that come together to magnify God and we are having an impact on this Bay Area we're having an impact on the world because all of us here I know it's our hearts cry Lord here am I use me here am I Lord I'm willing to do what you want me to do I'm willing to serve you in any capacity that you ask me to serve you and never think never think what you do in the work of the Lord is insignificant Never think that it's insignificant to hand someone a bulletin or to hand someone information about the church or to go and to work with the children or to help on the usher team or to sing on the music team. Never think what you do is insignificant. I take the labor of love that my people serve me with and I make it much and I cause their faithfulness to cause blessings to abound in their life. Oh, don't despise what you do in the work of God. It's valuable and it's precious. And don't you ever feel that you are in significant it's important it's important to serve the lord one thing that i saw when i was looking at this about isaiah the fire of god gets our mind off of us it does because there's another thing that hinders people they're all concerned about me myself and i not only the i can'ts but how can i I got a full schedule, God. How can I do anything else? You know, I got to take my kids here. I got to go there. I got to have time for me, 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 me. But when you get touched by the fire of God, suddenly your perspective changes. And of course, God wants you to have time for your family and you need to, to be there for them and to help people. You know what else happens when fire is on us and fire is in us? We already talked about this, but it will send you, it will move you, and it will compel you to serve the Lord. R.W. Shambach, he's gone to be with the Lord now. Some of y'all may remember him. He was a fiery, fiery man of God, but he said this many years ago, it's time to get the fire out of the kitchen, cooking chicken for the bishop 
and back in the pulpit. And I'm going to add an in the pew. Because it's great if the pastor's on fire. But guess what? The pastor can be burning like a house of fire. But if there's a bunch of dry wood out there, it's going to put it out. So there needs to be fire in the pew as well as fire in the pulpit. Amen. Is anybody here tonight on fire? Another thing that's important. Fresh fire on individuals. Fresh fire on churches and ministers. It not only infects us, affects us, and affects our local church, but you know what it will do? Fire spreads. You can't contain fire. When fire is just burning wildly, I mean, sometimes it burns for days if it's out in a big open area. Fire is contagious and fire will spread. And God is looking for his people to get on fire. He's looking for churches that will be filled with the zeal of God, filled with the compassion of God and the passion of God. And when we're doing that as believers and as groups of believers, congregations, that fire will affect our nation. Is there anybody in here that thinks our nation could use some change? Our nation needs to be touched by the fire of God. Our nation needs an awakening. Our nation needs revival. And you know, there is an account in the Bible that is a good precedent for us to see what can happen in our nation. Do you all remember the prophet Elijah and the day that he had that showdown with the prophets of Baal? That's found over in First. Kings chapter 18. And this was not a good time for Elijah. He was not a popular guy with King Ahab. He had gone to him three years before and he said, had said to him, okay, because of all the wickedness going on in this nation. And we're talking about the nation of Israel. We're talking about people that were supposed to be God's people, but they had given themselves over to Baal worship. So the prophet comes and he delivers a message and he says because of all this stuff that you've allowed in the nation there's not going to be any rain for three years so you know king ahab didn't like him very much but the day came that god spoke to ezekiel and let's look here in verse 18 we'll look at at verse uh, 20 you can read this whole account i love it it's awesome but we'll just summarize it So Ahab sent for the children of Israel. Elijah had come to him and said, okay, things are going to happen. Things are going to change. So he sent for the children of Israel, gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel. And these prophets we're talking about, not the prophets of God. It's 450 prophets of Baal. And Elijah came unto all the people and he said, how long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him, not a word. I think that's a good word for our nation today. How long are you going to halt between two opinions? Are we really a nation that is under God? Are we created one nation under God? Is our nation a Christian nation? That's how it was founded. Why is our nation staggering? Why is our nation faltering? Why is there so much political correctness and so much open-mindedness? I think that some people, some of our politicians, their minds are so open. All of their brains have fallen out. Are we a nation that is going to honor God or what? What if Elisha were alive today and he was talking to our nation? What do you think he'd say? How long are you going to let all of this immorality into your nation? How long are you going to vote in the camp of the enemy? How long are you going to be so wimpy about being a Christian nation? I like it. 
You know, the people knew he was speaking on behalf of God and they, I'm sure they were scared. They didn't have anything to say, but you know, he had heard from heaven. And when you get a word from God, when you have a plan from heaven, there will be boldness in your life. So he, he gets all these prophets together and he says, all right, I'm going to challenge you to a sacrifice duel. It was like he was calling them out. Like an old Western, I'm going to challenge you to a duel, but this is what we're going to do. We're not going to duel with pistols and with swords. We're going to duel with fire. Who's ever God shows up with fire, let him be God. So he was polite. He let them go first. So he said, okay, you go first. The Bible tells us they started hollering. They started doing all sorts of weird movements and gyrations and pleading and begging. And, oh, you know, I love Elijah's audacity and his boldness. He knew that God was going to send fire down from heaven. And he knew that Baal was a dead God and nothing was going to happen. So there in verse 27, he says, and it came to pass at noon that Elisha, he mocked them and he said, oh, you better cry a little louder for your God. He's either meditating, he's busy, he's on a journey, perhaps he's sleeping and he must be awakened. One translation even says he might be in the bathroom. Boy, I mean, he's just jabbing them and jabbing them, seriously taunting them. No fear. No lack of confidence because he knew that our God was the God that was going to answer by fire and nothing was going to happen with their God. It became like a showdown and I can't improve on this. I've used it over and over, but I like it. So, hey, it's my sermon. I'll say it for me. It became like a showdown at the OK Corral. Like John Wayne showed up on the scene. I know he's been dead for years, but how many of you know John Wayne? He was my dad's hero. So, you know, got to keep John Wayne alive. It's like he showed up on the scene and said, all righty, partner. You better cry a little louder. Your God, he ain't a hearing you. Can you just see it? (laughs) He showed up at this showdown. And these people, these prophets of Baal, they start gashing themselves. The Bible says blood was flowing everywhere. I mean, they were just like ranting and raving and doing all these crazy things. And after a while, Elijah said, okay, time out. Time's up. I've been polite, giving you all this time. Obviously, it's not going to happen for you today. And so he, oh, you know, he just was so bold. He said, all right, not only did he go and repair the altar and he got the sacrifice, but he told them to dump barrels of water on the sacrifice and on the wood. They dug a trench all around the altar, fill the trenches with water. Remember what I said about some folks in the pew being dry wood? And it doesn't matter if you got a lot of fire out here or you try to light dry wood. It ain't going to happen. Dry wood just does not catch on fire. But you know, Elisha, he didn't have to go through all these gyrations and stuff that they were going through. He prayed a simple prayer. When you know your God. And you are confident in his word. You don't have to get all emotional. There's a place for emotions, but you don't have to scream and holler and beg and plead. You find a scripture that covers your case and pray the word. All Elisha did that day. We got to look at it. Verse 36. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. That Elisha the prophet came near. Simple little prayer. 
said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac and of Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel and that I am thy servant and that I have done all these things at thy word. See, he didn't just wake up one day and decide to go and challenge these prophets. It'd been three years since he had visited King Ahab, but he had a word from heaven and he knew in his spirit that God was telling him, go and have this showdown. He didn't go in his own power and his own might. He went with the unction of the spirit of God upon him. And that makes all the difference in the world. If you've got some decisions to make, or perhaps you have to confront a family member, don't do it in the flesh. Don't do it when you, oh, I think this would be a good time. Make sure you pray and prepare the way, prepare their heart and ask the Holy Spirit to give you the right words. It's all about unction. We ought to have the attitudes that the Spirit of God doesn't go, I'm not going. Let Him empower you. Let Him lead you. So Elisha is praying this prayer in great confidence and great boldness because he had heard from heaven and because he knew God, he goes on and he says, hear me, O Lord, hear me that this people may know that thou art the Lord God and thou hast turned their heart back again. Simple, but powerful little prayer. And what was the result? Verse 38. Then the fire of the Lord fail. Woo. I like that. I just like hearing that. Then the fire of the Lord fail. Did you know it might not look like it tonight, but the fire of God is falling in our midst. It's by no accident that we've prayed for 70 some folks to get filled with the Holy Ghost and fire or to get a fresh infilling. That's the fire falling. Then the fire of God fell. The fire of God is falling in our midst. And what happened when the fire fell? It consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust. And it licked up the water that was in the trench. You know, there's something in there for us as well. When the fire of God falls in your life, it will consume the stones. You got any hardness in your heart? You got any obstacles in your way from serving God? You got any habits? You got anything that you need to get rid of? Ask God to send the fire. Oh, Lord, send the fire just now. And that fire, nothing is too difficult for God. And nothing is too hard for him to remove. The fire fell and the stones And the dust and the wet wood was all consumed. There was such a manifestation of God that no one there could say, hmm, I wonder if that was combustible, whatever. What is that combustible something? You know, when when fire just happens, spontaneous combustion. Well, something like that. That's close. I wonder if that could have just been spontaneous combustion. I don't think so. Spontaneous combustion is not going to burn up wet wood, burn stones, burn up the dust, and lick up the water. This was a sign. This was really a miracle. It was something that went against all laws of nature. And once it happened, there wasn't anybody standing there going, hmm, you think that was the God of fire? Do you think maybe that was him? No. 
immediately. I love it. Verse 39. And when the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Just a few hours before he was rebuking them because they were halting between two decisions. Well, should I worship Baal? And most of them were. Should I worship Baal? Or, or maybe I should embrace a little bit of, of God, a little bit of Christianity. No, when God showed up, in power, when the fire of God fell, they immediately fell on their faces. And what did they say? Woo! The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Do you know any people that you would like to hear declare that? Oh, the Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Do you know anybody that's halting between two decisions? Do you know anybody that's following that weird doctrine? Well, there's more than one way to heaven. There's multiple gods. There's multiple paths. Listen, folks, that's halting between ungodly decisions and what the Bible says. People like that need to encounter the fire of God. I guarantee you one encounter with the real fire of God, they're going to immediately say, Woo, the Lord, he is God. Forget about what I said about Buddha. Forget about what I said about Muhammad. They're not the way. Forget about all of that false religion. Woo! The Lord. He is God. You know, there are people that are bound by false religions. And years ago when we were over in Israel, Billy Brand shared this. I thought it was amazing. She said, people that are bound, you know, by, by wrong religions, if they really could see the power of God and see him in manifestation, see the miracles, see the signs and the wonders. They'd leave that false religion because they are taught to serve the strongest God. Serve the strongest God. Well, in case you don't know it, folks, our God is the strongest God. Our God is the only God. Our God is the true and the living God. He is the most high God and there is no other. And so we should desire, oh, my Christ, desire him to manifest himself. Signs and wonders and miracles, not just for ourselves, but for them. People that are driving by right now. People on your job, people in your family that are halting between two decisions. Well, should I become a Christian or should I just stay out here in the world? Should I hook up with this other religion? They're really nice people. Or should I come over into Christianity? Folks, they need to see God in full manifestation. And once they do, they're going to cry out, Woo! The Lord! He is God. Somebody walks through this doors and their body is full of a sickness and disease and doctors have given up on them and they are touched by the healing power of God. Do you think they're going to turn around and say, well, I wonder is God, is he really the true and the living God? No, they're going to immediately say, take me to your leader. I want to know this God that has just healed my body. God's not opposed to showing himself strong. He's not opposed to us asking for signs and wonders. That's one of the trademarks of the big crusades that people used to have in the nations of the earth. I still remember it. T.L. Osborne used to come to our church. His sister was my Sunday school and you Sunday school teacher and youth leader. And he'd come, those old reel-to-reels. That's how old I am. He'd set it up in the back of the church with those old reel-to-reels. And I'll never forget one thing that he showed. He titled it Black Gove. And it was about all these people in Africa that were bound by witchcraft. And talk about demon possession. Some of the stuff they were doing and all the weirdness. But he held a crusade there. And he got up just preached 
a simple gospel message. But before he even preached, I mean, he, he was like the John Wayne. He said, all right, masses of people. He didn't lay hands on them, but he just, oh, it was amazing. He just got up and he says, okay, I'm here representing the true and the living God. And this God that I serve, the one and the only living God is a healer. If you got any kind of infirmity in your body, raise up your hand and the God that I am here representing is going to heal you. He just prayed a simple little prayer. Masses of people got healed. He'd say, okay, if you were crippled, just simple. If you were crippled and now you can walk, come up here. Lines and lines of people that had canes, people that were blind, and they would just line up, seemed like for hours, and he would get, they would give their testimonies. I came here walking with a cane. I came here not been able to see, not been able to hear. Just a simple little prayer. God showed up. And then he preached a gospel message about the God that had healed their body. Thousands, thousands of people would raise their hands and pray the sinner's prayer. Oh, God, signs and wonders in this day and in this hour. Do you think we need them now? Do you think that even though people may not be, you know, in dire straits like they are in some nations, people are in dire straits spiritually in our nation. People need to know the Lord. People need to see the healing power of God. So this day, after this happened, one encounter with the fire of God. Oh, I love this. A nation was changed in a day. This nation was cleansed of Baal worship in a day. Not only did the prophet Elijah win the showdown, but he took it a step further and he said, all right, you 450 prophets of Baal who have been leading the children of God astray, been making sacrifices to false gods ah, with your head. They were killed. 450 prophets of Baal slain in a day. Woo. And you know, after that happened, the day still wasn't over. Now the nation had been changed. The people were turning back to God. They had repented and it was time for the rain. Same chapter, verse 41. After all of this had happened, then Elijah said to King Ahab, Go up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of the abundance of rain. Woo! Do you hear that sound? I've been hearing it for years and I am not going to stop contending for it. Zechariah 10.1, ask you of the Lord, rain in the time of the latter rain. That's the time that we are living in. God's doing something in our lives. God's doing something in the church and God wants to do something in our nation. And Elisha Nobody else was hearing a sound of the abundance of rain. He was hearing it by faith. He was seeing it with the eye of his spirit. He told his servant, okay, the rain is coming. Go out there and tell me if you see a cloud. Seven times his servant came back and said, I don't see anything. There's nothing on the horizon. But this prophet heard from God. He not only knew that God sent him there to get rid of Baal worship, but he knew it was time for the rain of God to show up in that nation. It hadn't rained for three years. And you know the devil didn't want there to be rain that day. After all that he had done to his kingdom... Seven times his servant came back and said, I don't see any clouds. But on the seventh time he said, well, I see a little cloud. 
It's about the size of a man's hand. You know, that's not big enough to cause a deluge of rain. But the prophet got excited and he said, that's it. That's it. That's it. It's coming. And he goes on and he says, get, we got to run now. We got to outrun the, the rain. Tell Ahab that the clouds are going to be coming in and there's going to be an abundance of rain. And it happened just like he prophesied. It happened just like what he saw on the inside of him. Now, as we're closing tonight, I want you to know. Note the stages and the progression of what happened in this chapter. First of all, the prophet of God asked for the fire to fall. Let the God who answers by fire, let him be God. The first thing, fire needs to fall. That's the stage that we're in, I believe it. That the fire of God needs to fall and there needs to be a purging and there needs to be a purifying and a cleansing. There needs to be a refiner's fire in the church because the next stage to that is an outpouring of the spirit. We're beginning to see that once again, the Holy Spirit to be poured out in the church. And then the final stage Once that begins to happen, there will be the reign of the Spirit. Harvest, miracles, healings, signs, and wonders, and abundance of people coming in to the kingdom of God. Y'all tracking with me tonight? We're looking for it. We're anticipating it. We're expecting the greatest move of God That this earth has ever seen. What he's wanting us to do tonight. Wanting our church to say, Lord, here am I. I will pick up a coal off of the altar of God. I'll let you purify me. I'll let you touch my lips. So that I may carry this fire to my family, to my church, my city, and my nation. Fire changes people and fire will change our nation. Oh, thank you, Lord. Let's all stand. Lord, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for what we have seen in your word tonight. And we know that these Stories, these accounts are not put in the word of God just so we can say, oh, that was amazing. Oh, that was wonderful. They are types and they are shadows of what you want to do in this church age. You want to give like you did with the prophet Isaiah. You want to touch lips with that fire. You want people's hearts to be branded and that they will make that commitment and say, Lord, hear my, send me. Hallelujah. And then you want to manifest yourself as the God who answers by fire and burns away hindrances and gets the church in a position To bring in the harvest. Woo. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Let's just all begin to pray now. Let's just spend a few moments just praying in the spirit. Before we go tonight, let the word of God take deep root in your heart.